state of mankind. How much do you know? Excerpts from How the Specter of Communism is Ruling Our World. 22. The British Fabian Society, founded in 1884, a year after Marx's death, took a different path in the struggle to impose socialism. The Fabian logo depicts a wolf in sheep's clothing, and its name is a reference to Quintus Fabius Maximus Verrucosus, the Roman general and dictator famous for his delaying tactics. In the Fabian Review, the first pamphlet produced by the group, a note on the cover reads, For the right moment you must wait, as Fabius did most patiently, when warning against Hannibal, though many censured his delays, but when the time comes you must strike hard, as Fabius did, or your waiting will be in vain, and fruitless. To gradually bring about socialism, the Fabian Society invented the policy of permeation to take advantage of available openings in politics, business, and civil society. The Fabian Society does not restrict the activities of its members, but encourages them to advance socialist aims by joining suitable organizations and ingratiating themselves with important figures, such as cabinet ministers, senior administrative officials, industrialists, university deans, or church leaders. Sidney Webb, chairman of the Fabian Society, wrote. As a society, we welcome the adhesion of men and women of every religious denomination or of none, strongly insisting that socialism was not secularism, and the very object and purpose of all sensible collective action was the development of the individual soul or conscience or character, nor did we confine our propaganda to the slowly emerging Labour Party, or to those who were prepared to call themselves socialists, or to the manual workers or to any particular class. We put our proposals, one by one, as persuasively as possible, before all who would listen to them, conservatives whenever we could gain access to them the churches and chapels of all denominations, the various universities, and liberals and radicals, together with the other socialist societies at all times. This we called permeation, and it was an important discovery. Many members of the Fabian Society were young intellectuals. They made speeches and published books, magazines, and pamphlets across society. In the 20th century, the Fabian Society moved to the political scene. Webb became the Fabian representative in the newly formed Labour Representation Committee of the Labour Party. In the Labour Party, Webb drafted its party constitution and party program. Taking a lead role in forming policy, Webb endeavoured to make Fabian socialism the guiding ideology of the party. The Fabian Society later acquired influence in the United States, where multiple groups exist in the liberal arts faculties across many universities. Whether Lenin's violent communism or the Fabian Society's non-violent communism, both are manipulated by communism's evil specter and have the same ultimate aim. Lenin's violent communism does not reject non-violent means. In his book Left-Wing Communism, An Infantile Disorder, Lenin criticized the communist parties of Western Europe that refused to cooperate with what he called the reactionary labor unions or to join the capitalist national parliament. Lenin wrote in his book, The Art of Politics, and the communists' correct understanding of his tasks consists in correctly gauging the conditions and the moment when the vanguard of the proletariat can successfully assume power, when it is able, during and after the seizure of power, to win adequate support from a sufficiently broad strata of the working class and of the non-proletarian working masses, and when it is able thereafter to maintain, consolidate and extend its rule by educating, training and attracting ever broader masses of the working people. Lenin stressed again and again that the communists must hide their real intentions. To seize power, no promise or compromise can be ruled out. In other words, to achieve their goals, they can be unscrupulous. On the road to power, both Russia's Bolshevik party and the CCP utilized violence and deception to the utmost. 
The brutality of the Soviet and Chinese communist regimes has drawn attention away from the nonviolent communism found in the West. Bernard Shaw, an Irish playwright and representative of the Fabian Society, once wrote, I also made it quite clear that socialism means equality of income or nothing, and that under socialism you would not be allowed to be poor. You would be forcibly fed, clothed, lodged, taught, and employed whether you like it or not. If it were discovered that you had not character enough to be worth all this trouble, you might possibly be executed in a kindly manner. The Fabian Society specialized in disguise. It chose Shaw, a literary man, to cover up the true aims of non-violent socialism with beautiful words. But the brutality lies below the surface. Western Communist parties and their various front organizations incite young people to create an atmosphere of chaos. They take part in assault, vandalism, robbery, arson, bombings, and assassination to harass and intimidate their enemies. Communism holds the nation to be an oppressive construction of class society, and it aims to abolish nationality. In the Communist Manifesto, Marx and Engels proclaim that working men have no country. The manifesto ends on the note, workers of all countries, unite. Under Lenin's leadership, the Bolsheviks founded the first socialist country in Russia and immediately established the Communist International, Comintern, to instigate and spread socialist revolution around the globe. The goal of the Soviet Union and the common turn was to overthrow the legitimate regimes of every nation on earth and establish a socialist world dictatorship of the proletariat. In 1921, the common turn's Far East branch set up the CCP, which would take over China in 1949. Apart from the CCP, communist parties around the world sought guidance from the common turn and accepted its funds and training. With the resources of a vast empire at its disposal, the Communist Party of the Soviet Union, CPSU, recruited activists around the world and trained them to carry out subversive operations in their own countries. Founded in 1919, the Communist Party USA, CPUSA, was one such organization that followed the Comintern and the CPSU. Though the CPUSA itself never became a major political force, its influence on the United States was nevertheless significant. The CPUSA colluded with activists and activist organizations to infiltrate workers and student movements, the church, and the government. Dr. Fred Schwartz, a pioneer of American anti-communist thought, said in 1961, any attempt to judge the influence of communists by their numbers is like trying to determine the validity of the hull of a boat by relating the area of the holes to the area which is sound. One hole can sink the ship. Communism is the theory of the disciplined few controlling and directing the rest. One person in a sensitive position can control and manipulate thousands of others. It is now known that Soviet operatives were active within the U.S. government during World War II. Despite this and the anti-communist efforts of Senator Joseph McCarthy, the facts were hidden or obscured from the public by leftist politicians, academics, and the left-wing media. In the 1990s, the U.S. government declassified the Venona files decoded by American intelligence during the 1940s up to the end of World War II. These documents show that at least 300 Soviet spies were working in the U.S. government including high-ranking officials in the Roosevelt administration who had access to top-secret information. Other agents used their positions to influence American policymaking and statecraft. Among those found to be Soviet spies were U.S. Treasury official Harry Dexter White, State Department official Alger Hiss, and Julius and Ethel Rosenberg, the couple who were executed by electric chair for transmitting military secrets and atomic technologies to the Soviet Union. 
The communications intercepted and decrypted by the Venona project are just the tip of the iceberg, the full extent of Soviet infiltration in the U.S. government remains unknown. As high-ranking American officials, some of the Soviet operatives had opportunities to influence important political decisions. Alger Hiss, the Soviet spy in the State Department, played a key role as President Franklin D. Roosevelt's advisor during the Yalta Conference at the end of World War II. He helped determine post-war territorial arrangements, draft the United Nations Charter, decide prisoner exchanges, and the like. Harry Dexter White, a trusted aide to Secretary of the Treasury Henry Morgenthau Jr., helped create the Bretton Woods International Financial Agreement and was one of the major personalities behind the establishment of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. White encouraged the Chinese Nationalist Party, Kuomintang, to enlist underground CCP member Yi Ziyoding in the Chinese Ministry of Finance. Taking up the post in 1941, Yi was the architect of disastrous currency reforms that damaged the Kuomintang's reputation and benefited the CCP's rise. Some historians argue that the influence of Soviet spies and their left-wing sympathizers in American foreign policy led the United States to end military aid to the Kuomintang during the Chinese Civil War after World War II. Mainland China was consequently lost to the CCP. Some scholars, such as M. Stanton Evans, argue that Soviet spies were most successful at influencing policy. Whitaker Chambers, a Soviet informant and CPUSA associate who later defected and testified against other spies, said, the agents of an enemy power were in a position to do much more than prolong documents. They were in a position to influence the nation's foreign policy in the interest of the nation's chief enemy, and not only on exceptional occasions, but in what must have been the staggering sum of day-to-day -day decisions. Yuri Bazmenov, a KGB agent who defected to the West, discussed Soviet methods of subversion in his writings and interviews. According to Bazmenov, the James Bond-style spies of popular culture who blow up bridges or sneak around stealing secret documents couldn't be further from the reality of espionage. Only 10 to 15 percent of the KGB's personnel and resources were allocated to traditional spy operations, with the rest going to ideological subversion. Bazmenov said that subversion comes in four stages. The first step is to foster the cultural decadence and demoralization of the enemy country, the second is to create social chaos, and the third to instigate a crisis that would lead to either civil war, revolution, or invasion from another country, culminating in the fourth and final stage of bringing the country under the control of the Communist Party. This is called normalization. Bazmenov, alias Thomas Schumann, listed three fields of subversion, thought, power, and social life. Thought covers religion education, the media, and culture. Power includes government administration, the legal system, law enforcement, the armed forces, and diplomacy. Social life encompasses families and communities, health, and relations between people of different races and social classes. As an example, Basmenov explained how the concept of equality was manipulated to create unrest. Agents would promote the cause of egalitarianism, making people feel discontent with their political and economic circumstances. Activism and civil unrest would be accompanied by economic deadlock, further exacerbating labor and capital relations in a worsening cycle of destabilization. This would culminate in revolution or invasion by communist forces. Ion Mihai Pasipa, the highest-ranking intelligence official in communist Romania, defected to the United States in 1978. He further exposed how the former Soviet Union and communist regimes of Eastern Europe adopted strategies of psychological warfare and disinformation against Western countries. According to Pasipa, the purpose of disinformation was to alter people's frame of reference. 
With their ideological values manipulated, people would be unable to understand or accept the truth even when presented with direct evidence. Buzmenov said the first stage of ideological subversion usually took 15 to 20 years, that is, the time needed for the education of a new generation, the second stage 2 to 5 years, and the third stage only 3 to 6 months. In a speech he gave in 1984, Buzmenov said the first stage had been accomplished to a greater extent than the Soviet authorities had originally expected. The accounts of many Soviet spies and intelligence officials and declassified documents from the Cold War suggest that infiltration tactics were the driving force behind the counterculture movement of the 1960s. In 1950, McCarthy began to expose the extent of communist infiltration across the U.S. government and society. But four years later, the Senate voted for his condemnation, and the government's initiative to rid itself of communist influence was brought to a halt. This is one of the main reasons for the decline of the United States. The threat of communist infiltration has not lessened since the collapse of the Soviet Union and the end of the Cold War. As an example, McCarthy has been demonized by left-wing politicians and the media for ages. Today, McCarthyism is synonymous with political persecution, an indication that the left-wing has successfully established dominance in the ideological struggle. The decades of suppression and defamation meted out to U.S. anti-communist heroes like McCarthy indicate a general trend. As one conservative American political commentator observed, anti-Americanism is a natural component of the global left-wing movement. The left-wing fights tooth and nail to protect adulterers, abortionists, criminals, and communists, while supporting anarchy and opposing civilization.